You may or may not have heard of the website Lifehacker. That's a pretty good name if you ask me, but uh, it, it's kind of like a newspaper. They got a bunch of different sections, you know, technology and sports and uh, just whatever you're interested in. Apparently they've gone. I saw one about weed and I thought, hey, I need to kill some weed. But it wasn't about your lawn. So it's, you know, just be warned, okay? All right. But you know what I, I found on there recently? This very interesting thing, how to go through difficult times. And I thought that this was uh, particularly timely in light of our message here today. But they offered... Uh, uh, some, some things to remember as you go through difficult times. Things to remember. For example, hey, bad times end. Well, you feel better already, don't you? Number two, you've overcome challenges before. You can do it. Number three, you have a lot of strength as a person. Number four, it happens to everyone. Like, that makes you feel better, huh? It's a learning experience. Well, that all depends on how you respond to it, isn't it? Number six, you can always ask for help. That's some good wisdom right there. And number seven, you know, there's a lot of things you could be grateful for. I mean, that's not your whole life, how bad you're suffering right now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, my friends, there are better answers than these. There is a perspective that God intends for us to have regardless of what it is we face. And that is laid out for us, my friends, here in Romans chapter 8. So, so very important, my friend. As an unbeliever, let's face it, you just hope to get through something, you know? When is this ever going to end? But, my friends, it's different for believers because we have resources, we have purpose, and we have hope. And what is that hope? Well, my friends, uh, we start here in verses 1 to 13, and we see that this is all part of God's plan. Whatever it is that you are enduring today, whatever it is you face tomorrow, know this, that the Holy Spirit is working in us to transform us. We have said this before, my friends, we will say it again, that God's plan for you is to look a lot more like Jesus than who you used to be. The purpose of God in our lives, once you have come to faith in Christ, is transformation. I mean, that has been the book of Romans. We've talked about our, our place, about our condemnation because of our sin, and we talked about here, Paul has told us about how Christ died for our sin. He rose from the dead in order that we might be justified by faith. Remember that word justified simply means to be declared righteous. Our faith is counted as righteousness before God. That is the currency of heaven, my friend. Faith and righteousness. And then comes the question, Okay, I've come to faith in Jesus. All right, good. I'm not going to hell anymore. Looking forward to heaven. What do I do between now and then? And the answer, my friend, is you grow. And you are changed daily by the work of the Spirit of God. 
So here in verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a lick of it, my friend. You will never have to fear a single day in your life that somehow you still have the possibility of eternal damnation in your future. It's gone. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything changes. And so the Holy Spirit is at work. And how does he do it? Well, notice in verse 2, we're set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Now we, we see this expression, the law of, and we'll see it repeated numerous times. And the best way to understand that is just to think authority or the power of. And so the law of the spirit, the power of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. That's the power of you come into this world, you've got a sin nature, and it craves. And sin is fed by every temptation in this world, driving you to the pit of hell, my friend. But the law of the spirit of life has set you free. So we're set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. There is therefore, my friends, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are some, and I don't know where they get this from, but, but it would teach, well, be careful, you could lose your salvation. My friends, that is not taught in the Bible. Because there's nothing that you could do to save yourself to begin with. It wasn't in your hands to begin with. It's in the Lord's hands. We have been set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, we're set free by the death of Christ for our sin. That's verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. We talked about that. You know, the weakened, but what does that mean? It's, it's the imagery of, of you've got the, the big fork and the other big whatever utensil trying to bring a roast that's oh, just so tender. And you pull up on it and the fork, it just goes right through it. My friend, the problem is not the fork, it's not the knife, it's not the tool. It's the flesh. Just isn't strong enough to hold it. And so the law could never change us, could never transform us. And that's the danger, my friend, of saying, here are the ten things I must do to become more like Jesus. You know what? There's only one, and that is to follow the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and not fight against it. Because the responsibility of sanctification in your life is God's. God is the one who changes us. And so, my friend, we're set free by the power of the Holy Spirit and set free by the death of Christ. For God has done what the law was weakened, uh, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. And so, my friends, we are set free. For what purpose? To live by the Spirit. We have lived by the flesh. What the flesh, what our bodies crave, that is what we have served. What do we want? That has been the drive of our life. But now that we are followers of Jesus Christ, we live by the Spirit of God. 
Verse 4, in order that, for this reason, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Isn't that interesting? We're not supposed to follow the law, but I'll tell you, if you follow the Spirit of God, you will have fulfilled the law. Now, Jesus summed up the law for us in, in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the sum of all of the law. And if you're following the Spirit of God, this is exactly what you will do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. See verse 5 here. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And here Paul talks about the difference. There are two ways of life, my friend, and nothing in between. You follow the cravings of your flesh, your sin nature, and what will it lead you to? And how different is that than following the Spirit? Verse 6 tells us, For to set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Imagine, there's one thing the world craves is peace. Constant worry, constant fret. You know what peace is? It is the possession of adequate resources. Peace is, I get everything I need. It's not my responsibility, it's God's. I'm in his hands. All of the resources of heaven available to us. Verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh, however, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's funny. You take an unbeliever driven by the sin nature, and lay out a law for him. He cannot. He cannot. Sin nature craves what is opposite of the spirit. Can't do it. Have you read the Old Testament? It is one story after another of God saying, do this and you will live. And people turning their back and going the other way. And guess what? They die. It is a sad, sad story of humanity. And it happens replayed before us every day. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Transformation, my friends. We are moving from one life to another life. And how can we do it? How can we follow the Spirit of God? Well, we've got an advantage. And you know what that advantage is? We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God isn't out there somewhere, my friends. He has indwelled us. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
Well, there's yet one of those other markers. How do we know who is an authentic Christian and who is not? Look at their behavior. Is it marked by love for God and others? Remember that song, they'll know we're Christians by our love? Yeah, it's true. It's true. But also this, that you are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And you know what the Spirit of God evidences in our life? The fruit of the Spirit. The result of the work of the Spirit of God in our life is laid out for us. You know what the first one is? Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. What did I miss? Anybody memorize that? What? Understanding. Understanding. Is that in there? I don't know. We'll have to look that up. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, my friends. What's that? Yeah. Well, we're, we're talking about Galatians, though, that lays that out for us. So you're not wrong about understanding. I think that's part of compassion. So we are, we are my friends, indwelt by the Spirit of God. And if the spirit of him who raised, this is verse 11, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give his life to you in your mortal bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you, mentioned over and over and over again, over and over and over again. Yeah. We are indwelled by the Spirit of God, my friend. If you, are, if you belong to God, if you are one of the children of God, my friends, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God. So then, verse 12, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will indeed live. And so, my friends, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is working in us to transform us. That is what God is doing. You wonder, you ever find yourself where things are just seem to be in chaos and there's one surprise after another, and you go, what is God doing? He's working in your life to shape you and to conform you to the character of Christ. So, my friends, the Spirit is not only working to transform us, the Spirit of God has adopted us into the family of God. Listen to this truth, my friend. This is enormously important. If you tend to think smallly of yourself, you know, I'm not much, I'm not this, I'm not that, take a look at what God says about you. Verse 14, the Spirit adopts us into the family of God. We are adopted as sons. And the ladies here say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Take a look. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, my friends, that's not an accident. That's not a generic word, sons. It speaks of a position of privilege in the family. It speaks of inheritance to come. Sons. 
You say, well, that wasn't fair back then. You're, you're right. It doesn't seem very just that parents would cheat, treat their children differently. But I'll tell you, God takes that so that we can understand that. That in the same way men have honored some over others, what he is saying is all of my children, they get the best of the inheritance. They are primary. So all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Pastor, you keep saying that. Oh, yeah, a lot of things happen that very moment. And one of them was that you were adopted into the family of God. Adoption is an incredible thing in my understanding. I've not ever been a part of it. I've only seen it and those who have been in it and a part of it. But imagine, you got the kids you got. No returns, no refunds, nothing. That's who you got, right? But with adoption, that's the one. That's who I And that is how God sees you. You're the one I want. Now, he's going to talk about that in just a little bit, a little more detail. But God adopts us into our family. Imagine that. Imagine loving so much somebody that you say, you know what, you have got to be my family. That's how much I love you. I want you right here, right smack in the center of who I am. That is how God feels about you, my friends. So we are adopted as sons. And notice here in verse 16, the Spirit testifies that we are the sons of God. If you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, my friends, it is evidence that you belong to him. Look at verse 16. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so the Spirit of God makes it clear to us to confirm in us that we indeed are the children of God. What a magnificent picture this is, my friend. And notice in verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, imagine that, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Imagine that. This picture of the Father adopting people like me and people like you into his family to share in the inheritance with his son, Jesus. That's a place of privilege right there, my friends. That is a place of privilege. We could talk about the wealthy of the world and wonder what it might be like to be an inheritance in the inheritance of these folk, you know. Oh, good. Oh, he died. That's so sad. But now I'm going to buy an island, you know. I mean, there's a lot of wealth, but nothing that matches the inheritance of Christ. And so there it is. We are adopted into his family as sons. And the Spirit of God testifies that we are indeed sons of God. 
provided. And there's that little addition here. Oh, yeah, here's the... However, provided. We suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. You see, because the Spirit of God is not only conforming our lives and adopting us into the family of God, my friends, the Spirit enables us to suffer for God. This is a port you want to get out and walk away. I don't want to hear about the suffering stuff. And why would you? Who, Who wants to volunteer for that stuff? But take a look here, my friends, carefully. We don't like to talk about suffering. But hear me when I say this. Pain will either hurt you or help you. Pain will either hurt you or help you. It all depends on how you respond to it. Some of you maybe played sports when you were younger. You know, in basketball, we did these things called killers. This way and back, and then that way and back, and then that way and back, and then further and back and back. You know, and then my coach, he would say, are you tired? And it was a no-wind answer. If you said yes, well, then you're out of shape. Let's run some more. And that just felt mean. But I know what the coach was doing. If these guys are going to play hard all the way through the game, they got to be in better shape. If they're going to be able to face these teams in the playoffs, they've got to have more stamina. Got to happen. Got to happen. And that's what suffering accomplishes in our life. It builds us and prepares us and changes us for what's ahead. Well, my friends, we are enabled to endure suffering. And we are able to endure it, my friends, knowing these things, it will be worth it. And that's what you have to have in your mind. Whatever it is you face, whatever the unknown is tomorrow, this you must know. And it's not the seven things out of Lifehacker's website. You need to know this, my friends, that it'll be worth it. Whatever it cost, no matter the pain, it's worth it. I'm not just saying that, my friends. Take a look here. Take a look here in verse 18. We're suffering, my friends. is oft avoided, and rightly so, but when we suffer, know this, that it is whatever it is brought into our life, as hard as it is, has passed through the loving hands of our Heavenly Father for our good and for his glory. Look at verse 18. About this, highlight this, cut it out and hang it on your wall. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And the glory he's talking about is the transformation that takes place in our life. It'll be worth it. Whatever it is, don't shrink back, my friends. Don't shrink back from difficult assignments before you and the fear that comes with them because it'll be worth it. 
I consider that the sufferings of this present time... Now, this is the Apostle Paul, who was beaten multiple times, shipwrecked. They wanted this guy dead. He suffered an enormous amount to do what it is that God had called him to do. And Paul's testimony is this. It's worth it. If God has brought you to it, my friends, it will be worth it. Comparing, not worth comparing, the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, look at verse 19. It isn't just you that's suffering. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There is a day coming, my friends, when everything will be set free. The hope of glory. And so we have the hope of glory, my friends. You know what else we do? We have the hope of new bodies. Everybody says, Amen. Yeah. And not only, verse 23, the creation, but we ourselves who have the, who are the, or have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, glorified bodies, no pain, no struggles, no hurts. No issues with your knees. You'd be able to jump. I'd get an amen for that. Oh, yeah. Glorified bodies, my friends. Yeah. We know. We wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is... Seen is not hope, is it? For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, we go through these difficult days of growing older, of facing obstacles, but we do it with hope. We know it's not the end, and we know that what lies ahead is worth it. We know these things. We know these things. How do we know them? Because God has told them to us. He has recorded and preserved his word for us even this morning that we might be reminded of the truth. Friends, it's worth it. Whatever it cost, it's worth it. But note also this, my friends. Whatever we endure, the Spirit of God helps us. We're not left alone in this. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. (coughs) Have you ever been there? I don't even know what to ask God about. 
I don't know what his will is in this matter, and I don't know which way to go in it. Well, fortunately for us, my friend, even though we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but know this, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. The Spirit of God is praying for you. And you know what the wonder of that is? The Spirit of God knows the will of God, and the will of God will always be done. The Spirit of God not only indwells you, not only leads and guides you, but is praying for you. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? We endure whatever we endure, and we know that the Spirit of God is helping us. Hmm. In verse 27, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Whatever you face, my friends, you never face it alone. All of the Godhead working together. And notice this carefully, my friends. Perhaps one of the most important bits of scripture for us to remember while we are enduring difficult days. That what we endure has purpose. None of it is random. There is no such thing as a random flat tire. There is no such thing. All of it matters. Look at verse 28. And we know, there it is again, my friends, know these things. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in our life to bring glory to himself in the transformation of our lives. Melanie and I drove to Chicago yesterday and just thinking back, do you ever do this about your relationship? Thinking, man, we were just kids. And we were kids. We both think about these events and how God brought us to where we are today. Thinking high school. You imagine Melanie growing up and marrying a pastor, and her response was, Ick. <laughs> Appreciate that, love. It's <laughs> uh, even more crazy is that I would grow up to be one. Took one of those um, vocational things, you know, surveys or whatever, you fill out a bunch and it tells you what you might be, and this guy over here, I'm going to be an architect, I'm going to be a policeman, I'm going to be a pastor. <laughs> what is this? I literally folded it up and put it in my pocket, lest anyone should find out. You can tell the same stories, can't you? You never knew you'd be here today in this place, doing the things that you are doing, concerned about the things that you are concerned with. That is the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And it has purpose. You wouldn't be who you are today if you didn't go through what you went through yesterday. 
It's true. We know that for those who love God, all things are working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Take a look at verse 29. Some have called this verse the golden chain. This tells how it all came about. For those whom he foreknew, this is God, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his Son. Why? In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We have a purpose, my friends. What does this mean? For those whom he foreknew. Foreknowledge, my friend, is God involved. It, it means God's favorable disposition on someone. If you were to turn with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, there's a wonderful illustration of this. The Lord says to the prophet Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Well, if he didn't exist, how'd you know him? And the thing about the word know in the Bible, you probably learned this as a teenager, you know, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. What do you mean? The word know means a whole lot more than just knowledge. It talks about a relationship. And foreknowing is this favor that God has ahead of time for those whom he will predestine for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. That is, God chose your destiny before you even existed. You had always existed in the mind of God because all time is now for God. He's eternal. There is no, I wonder what happens tomorrow for God. And he predestined us. He chose ahead of time our destiny to be conformed to the image of his son. And you ask yourself, am I more like Jesus today than I was last year or the year before? Sometimes it's hard to see in the small segments. But when we look back a little further, we say, oh my goodness, look at how different I am. Yeah. So God has from eternity past chosen specific people to bring into eternal communion with himself. And those people didn't even exist when he did it. Yeah, God chose you to be adopted into his family. What a wonderful picture. What a wonderful picture. And so our transformation, my friends, will ultimately result in glory. Look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The end is glory for you and me. We're going to stop here. Melanie keeps going. I, I tease. I look at the clock. I know what time it is. It's time to go. Some good, important stuff here, friends. I hope that you will review it before we finish this chapter whenever I see you again. Yeah.
Father in heaven, help us. Help us to grasp these things, these immortal, these eternal truths. That God, your love is so great for us. That you not only chose us. You sent your son to die for us that we might be justified. And that one day we would be glorified.